Welcome to episode two of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC Animated Universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, today we're talking about episodes three and four of the animated series. So we're looking at uh, Nothing to Fear, which is the first appearance of the Scarecrow, and then The Last Laugh, which is another appearance by the Joker. So uh, what did you think about watching these two? Nothing to Fear, I thought, was a great almost like a mini trilogy of episodes with with um, the first two that we watched and then this one. It kind of okay. gives a good roundness to who this Batman is. Uh, and I'll, oh, okay. I'll, I'll go into more detail about that um, after we talk about the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last laugh was just kind of yeah. another Joker holiday fun time. Yeah. The, uh, what, I, what I think is interesting about these two is it kind of shows the the scope of this series where mm-hmm. you have very serious issues going on and nothing to fear dealing with very adult themes. And then, uh, the last laugh is, is kind of the episode that reminds you, this is a Saturday morning cartoon. You still have to go to that kid audience. It's not just a show for adults. It's for all ages. And so seeing these two kind of shows this is for everyone. Yeah. I, I think it's been interesting watching really early episodes with the Joker. We'll go into more detail when we get to that actual episode. But I think you have this image in your head because you remember him by the end of the run. Right. You know, so what, 12 years beyond where we are now, what that character became, you go back to the beginning. And I think they were still working it out. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can see, bit. especially from episode two, you can see the transition Mark Hamill is still going through. And it sound, this one sounded closer, but it's still wasn't the Joker that we remember. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not quite there. Um, but I, I have to say, Nothing to Fear, a pretty decent episode overall. I really enjoyed it. I thought it gave... I think this was the closest to an origin story that, yeah. that, that Bruce Timm ever came. Because Bruce Timm came out and said that he refused to do an origin, a Batman origin story in this series. Right. So I think this was his way of doing the origin story in his own way yeah i i was looking up trivia for this episode and um so obviously in this episode bruce is exposed to the fear talks maybe we should just start at the beginning and uh, yeah, okay, work through we always forget about that part but. um all right so episode three nothing to fear let's kind of we're gonna jump into the story really fast we open up in a fundraiser for gotham state university we finally meet summer gleason uh, yeah i had a note about her, that too yeah, yeah the last episode we're seeing the last episode she's person. officially and, introduced yeah. as as the news reporter yeah. in Gotham. We meet her and we meet Dr. Long, who is one of the professors at Gotham State. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Dr. Long, he meets up with Bruce. Uh, Dr. Long and Thomas Wayne, Bruce's father, are both, they they went to college together. Yeah. Um, and then you start the theme with Dr. Long saying that Bruce is a disgrace to the Wayne name. Yeah. It's interesting having them talk about that now because we we have to kind of take it for granted that Bruce deserves that. Right. And it, it helps that we've had the whole rest of the series. And, you know, I think we're going to end up talking a lot about Batman Begins in this episode because there's tons of elements of that movie are in this episode. So we have that in our minds. Like, oh, OK, we've seen Batman Begins. You know, we see especially that scene where he's acting all like, you know, drunk at his house. And they say, oh, you're kind of, a, you know shame you bring to the Wayne name mm-hmm. here. It's just kind of thrown at him. Right. And well, I wanted to, to say what exactly Dr. Long calls Bruce, because I, I wanted to ask you what you think this means. Okay. Um, I forget what he, he said. calls him a self-centered jet setting playboy. That sounds awesome. I mean, has, if someone called me that, I'd be like, thank you. Has jet setting ever been like a negative term to someone is, I don't know. I, Cause no one even uses jet set anymore. Right. I mean, there's, 
Is that even a real I don't, a I don't modern know term. I don't, I don't know. You just hear, I don't really know the, even the context of that, and I'm too lazy to look it up. Yeah. Um, but looking at this episode, I mean, we have the advantage of watching these shows where we've already seen the yeah. entire story. Yeah. Trying to think back to a new audience, to an animated Batman, this episode was very, or this moment was very crucial because this is our first time learning about this version of Bruce Wayne. It's true. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things you just kind of take it for granted that whatever Bruce is doing, whatever persona he's putting out there is worthy of that kind of criticism throwing at him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they also kind of established that Dr. Long's a bit of a prick anyways. So A little bit. Yeah. But I, it does give some really cool character stuff in this episode, which I think is part of the reason Huge why Huge character really good. stuff, yeah. absolutely. So we're in the elevator. It's Dr. Long, Summer Gleason, and Bruce uh, kind of out through the through the elevator, he sees a bank getting robbed, mm-hmm. the university bank, and we finally meet Scarecrow, mm-hmm. Dr. Crane, and uh, his two goons that are just as dumb as could be, the, yeah, the perfect stereotype of a goon. Yeah. The uh, show loves its stereotypical goons. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Bruce suits up as Batman. He jumps into action and then get, or, you know, takes down the two goons like they're nothing, and then he's hit with the fear toxin. Yeah, And that, that line mentioned before that he's not worthy of the Wayne name kind of comes back comes back and becomes this mantra of fear for him. Yeah, when he's experiencing the fear toxin, like the fires around him. Because so Crane, they oh, we yes, assume he's... Jumping. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> we assume he's going to just rob the place. And then he tells his henchman, like, take what you can carry. Um, and then he pulls a gasoline can out. It's like, we're basically going to burn this fucker down. And so they light the bank on fire. And so at that point, Batman shows up. He's hit with a toxin, and he's incapacitated. Um, and he starts hallucinating that his father is then, you know, telling him that he's shameful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, we have Batman getting incapacitated before first commercial break. I'll give this one credit. That would actually take him down. Yeah. Um, this is better than being hit with a desk. Mm-hmm. It has, uh, you know, it, this would actually take Batman down. So, right. Yeah, so he's freaking out about that. And then we come back from commercial, and conveniently the sprinklers, sprinklers come on. Right. So and, I would <laughs> save it uh, a little bit down in the episode. There, Summer Gleason's on, on, or on TV talking about how Batman saved the bank. Did he really save? He, no, they, he, they had a sprinkler system. Yeah, already set up. Yeah, I don't so, remember him doing anything to turn them on. No, he didn't. Yeah, if he had like triggered them, they would have one thing. But they just come on, right? Um, and and save him. So I guess Scarecrow just didn't think that part of it through. I guess be, not because it did like no damage. Okay, one, he's also setting fire to the vault. So it's not like he set fire to a stack of money, like. I'm gonna. This plan's a little. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go into right, that right here, but once I, we get to the end of the. Oh episode. god, yeah, especially there. But you know, regardless, okay, it's more about Batman freaks out. He has this moment, and he's he's traumatized by what he sees and what he fears, mm-hmm. which is you know we see that his fear in this is not living up to his parents, right? Which shows how well the writers and creators understand the character, because that really kind of that's his driving force. Is he's Absolutely. doing this. For his parents, and that would be his biggest fear, is letting them down. Mm-hmm. They do a nice job with that. They do, and that, that's kind of the theme of this episode. So after the fire goes out, the police show up. Uh, we get a nice confrontation between Bullock and Batman. Yeah. And I think they have a very interesting dynamic because kind of, to me, they're almost—I think they're, they might be the most similar of the characters in this sort. Yeah, Where that's fair. Batman goes around the law to do what he has to do. Whereas Bullock uses his power of the law to go around it 
and do what he has to do. They're kind of yeah. competing for who can kind of bend the law the most. Almost. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, Bullock once again shows up in he's always in in like an antagonistic role. Right. Um, interesting that just two episodes later, Batman seems a very different relationship with the police. Exactly. I, I even wrote the, that down. The pilot, because like, the, the cops are in, it's like, oh my God, Batman, what happened? It's like, yeah. wait a minute, weren't you like trying to shoot him two episodes Exactly. Ago? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that was a pilot versus, you know, a, an ongoing episode, and I right. think they decided it was better to just jump in and have him be kind of cooperative with them on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Gordon shows up to dismiss Bullock and let Batman disappear. Calm everything down, right? Yeah. Uh, so then we have this beautiful scene in the Batcave where Batman is watching Summer Gleason talk about the news, talk about exactly what happened, and he has another mini hallucination where she's talking about how he saved the bank, but he failed to catch the the intruder, mm-hmm. failed to catch Scarecrow, and she kind of looks deadpan into the camera, kind of at <laughs> Bruce, exactly, Yeah, uh, just saying failed failure you failure failed. yeah you failed you, you failed. failed being yeah this very like ghost of ghost of christmas past kind of character yeah, it's fun um and i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about that in length because i think that's a very subtle thing that that bruce tim and paul dini kind of jumped in mm-hmm. um but the hallucination is interrupted when alfred comes and has his beautiful moment with bruce and we we see the role we see what Alfred is. Yeah, like he is the he is the stability for Batman and Bruce. Yeah, it, it's a reminder that he is a father figure exactly. for Bruce at the end of the day. You know, he even tells him like, "No, like your father be proud of you because I'm proud of you." And yeah, it's like that that great line. It is a great line. Yeah, and it's that it's a soft little moment between the two of them, and it shows mm-hmm. why Alfred is so important, why he's relevant. But then we also see the other side of Alfred because after he Alfred turns off the TV, and when he First looks at Bruce, he ha- he says, um, someone dressed up in a frightening costume, roaming around, scaring people. What will they think of next? Yeah, uh, it's, it is fun. You see, yeah, you see both sides of Alfred's character, where he is this character to keep things light for Bruce. And mm-hmm. when you see, when he notices Bruce isn't acting normally when he does his one, like his, you know, his deadpan jokes. Yeah. He goes into parent mode and he, you know. Yeah. One other thing I like about this scene is we actually, we get to see Bruce at his most genuine. And mm-hmm. what I thought was interesting is that he, there's actually kind of a third voice that Conroy does. Because when he's playing Bruce Wayne in public, he's got that like upturned, like really chipper, mm-hmm. um, kind of over the top voice. And when he's, you know, gravelly as Batman. And here, it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Right. And that's just him being him. And basically the only person he talks to that way at least until we spend more time with robin right now it's just alfred right we talk with alfred he just kind of plays this very mid-level voice like oh that's really it's interesting that like it actually emphasizes that there there is a real person in there and that he spends almost all of his time in one persona or the other right yeah it's asked i mean this question revolves a lot around which is the true mask and you know one could say that from here it's there's Obviously, both, you know. Yeah. Oftentimes, like, oh, like, well, Batman is, like, the real personality, and then, you know, Bruce is kind of the mask, and, you know, again, Batman Begins, they have a line exactly about that. Yeah. But it sort of suggests that they're, obviously, they're both masks. One is a literal one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But, yeah. But, yeah, I liked that there was a a third voice. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we still haven't gotten Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. yet as Alfred at this point. It's still Clive... Revel. Oh, I forgot who Clive Barker was. Okay. He's a he's a novelist. Okay. 
Um, I don't know how I know that because I don't own any of his books and I've never read them, but I guess I've seen a shitload of them because the name snapped into my head. So uh, well done, Clive Barker. Somehow you've implanted your name in my brain. I don't know how. Kudos. Um, so continuing the story, <laughs> uh, Batman learns there's another attack on the university. There's another fundraiser going on. Yeah. It's a quick side note. I have two mm-hmm. quick side notes on this little part. Do do fundraisers fundraisers usually happen like back to back like day to day like I, that? I don't know how much money they're needing to raise. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it seems yeah, that is a little ridiculous. I don't know if it's one of those things like, well shit, well the last one didn't go so well, so I guess we'll do another one. Right. Uh and it goes really well because so the opening shot is people dropping in cash and checks yeah and i paused on one of the checks because i thought it was bruce that was dropping it in Mm because it looked like his suit how much money do you think the animators guessed people were donating in this series like i don't know somewhere around a hundred something bucks the first check that's dropped in is 80 million dollars what (laughs) um so i guess there's some other millionaire roaming around Gotham or someone who's just feels really bad about Gotham State University because there is an 80 million dollar check just casually dropped in oh my god to this um uh to this donation basket yeah um, amongst a whole bunch of other 80 million dollar checks I'm probably sure. yeah, they're just gonna build a whole bunch of libraries just a lot of people's names going up to a lot of buildings in well, the next probably just years. one yeah <laughs> Um, that guy just bought the school (laughs) from Bruce. Uh, so continuing that scene, um, (laughs) Scarecrow interrupts the fundraiser, uh, by activating his fear gas on the entire staff. Oh yeah, he like pumps it into the vents and it, yeah. Right. Everyone at, everyone at the fundraiser is hit by the fear gas and he takes hold of Dr. Long. Does he bring him into the blimp? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They they all get into the blimp because, uh, Scarecrow has both a helicopter and a blimp. Yes. Yeah. It's all about that air travel. It is, but he loves that air travel, apparently. Um, yeah, and he can fly them both, which is really impressive yeah. for an unemployed uh, college professor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so before he gets into the blimp, as he's carrying Dr. Long out, Batman makes his appearance and is stopped by a group of, you know, rich socialites yeah. in, in Gotham. Yeah. So Scarecrow gets away again. Bruce chases after him beautiful fight scene yeah that's really good blimp. yeah i mean there's actually there i made a note too there's like one particular shot and it's like a really really wide shot kind of looking down the street up into the sky and you see the blimp going across and batman dangling from it. it's like yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, it is they do have those really cinematic shots yeah. in here and it's like oh wow that's really beautiful well, well uh bruce tim actually like encouraged the animators to go as big as possible mm-hmm. in this series his his main point was he wanted to do stories that couldn't be done in live action. Yeah. So I think that might have been why there's so many blimps. So many blimps. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you do got to mix it up a little bit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Because the next episode we have we're at a submarine. Yeah. I know. <sighs> and so yeah, I think like especially these stories, uh, they they want to go as big as possible on every note. Yeah, and they do, and it makes it cinematic and it makes it fun. Yeah. So we continue. Oh yeah, the, I think I made it out here. Yeah, the next like pre-commercial break is uh, Batman's like on the side of the blimp with one of the henchmen. And they both fall. So cut to commercial because, again, Batman in peril. We come back and we have once again the fantastic trope of people falling and conveniently landing on things. This yeah, time well, it's we're a, gonna, this time it's an awning. We're going we're gonna to start a list in our, in our show <laughs> of all of the conveniences, the convenient soft objects around yeah. Gotham. Yeah, so uh, water. Do we count snow from when they leave off the train in the Christmas episode? Uh, 
I, yeah, I mean, it's not like a death fall. Yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah, so like, we won't exclude that. But, yeah, so we have uh, a river. It was more like a drainage ditch or whatever. More than Whatever. We have yeah. water. We have a awning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, two minutes later, the other henchman throws, gets thrown out the window and lands in a... A giant bonsai tree. Yeah, it was, it was like a giant it. tree, but it does have a bonsai look to it. Yeah, I've never mm-hmm. seen a bonsai tree that big. But, yeah, right. so it's, um, it is very, very convenient. So after the henchmen <laughs> fall, Bruce is still kind of, or Batman is still kind of dangling... And as he's trying to pull himself up, the fear toxin uh, hits him again, mm-hmm. and he has another hallucination, kind of, hallucination yeah, of Thomas Wayne popping up, continuing his spite of, you know, you're not living up to the Wayne name. Yeah. And then we probably have the most iconic Batman line <gasps> yes. of all time. Yes. Would you like to say the line? I mean, it, you guys you guys all know it, but it, this is the first use of it, and this is kind of where it became famous. But, you know, mm-hmm. as he's trying to basically, like, psych himself up, he's like, you know, no, I am vengeance, I am the knight, I am Batman. And I had, a, like, a, an audible squeal when I heard it actually used in an episode. I mean, obviously now it's used all the time, and it became, like, part of the publicity for the show when it came back on on Cartoon Network. And, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin Conroy used that a lot, like, you know, introductions at right. Comic-Con yeah. panels and stuff, and it's become, like, a, a, a staple of it's, the show. It's the Batman mantra. It is the Batman mantra. That's like the first time it's used. And it's one of those weird moments where you think it could be corny. It's not. It, it's, it's just awesome. It feels it was, right at this moment. so good. So, you know, Batman uses this new this new energy that he, he gained for himself. Yeah. And he stops the blimp, saves Dr. Long. Scarecrow gets away. And I looked at the timestamp, and there's like three minutes left of the episode. There's a lot point. left in the episode. Yeah. Well, then, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, the scarecrow gets away on a glider. So that's yeah. his third, third flying. aerial vehicle of the show. And then the blimp crashes into a building and explodes. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of collateral damage. And, like, that's a lot of cleanup. Whoever donated that $80 million, you know, yeah, they have money the, to spend on these Well, buildings. now it's going to fixing the massive hole in one of the buildings there. Right. But, yeah, <laughs> Big ass explosion. We mentioned this earlier. I wanted to bring up the Scarecrow's plan and how oh, he's so yeah. proud that it succeeded. Uh, he had a, his two part plan was burn down the bank and scare the staff, and that was going to shut down the school. Shut down the whole school. Yeah. The the fear toxin doesn't last forever. No. Yeah. It wears <laughs> off. And yeah, the and bank it, didn't burn down. They, yeah. His plan really didn't come together very well. Right. Uh, did it? It also. It didn't help that, uh, you know, how Batman catches him is he's wearing a mask manufactured by his own company, I guess. I didn't quite get that because it was like it was like crane manufacturing. Well, he, he went over all the manufacturing plants. Right. It's like I don't know if it was the, the scarecrow mask itself or like a residue on it. It was, it was a little ambiguous. It was probably a residue because he went over the chemical plants. Yeah. I saw Ace Chemicals pop up. And Star and, Labs. And Star oh, Labs it was up. Access Chemicals. That was a reference. Ace does pop up in... The next episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, but it was Axis. That's a reference to the 89 movie. And then Star Labs, which, of course, is, you know, very famous in the Flash. world and comes back in later. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but one and of them was Crane, crane Manufacturing. Yeah, Crane Manufacturing. So it's like, I guess that's his company? I guess. I mean, everyone, everyone's parents own some kind of Something. big industry here. Yeah. That, I, w- I don't know if I just wasn't paying close enough attention or they didn't explain it very well but they kind of rushed through it they're like they detective work they we did. got it we got it under control the computers in this world are amazing they can cross-reference disparate things so quickly and come up with really detailed responses that just get you exactly where you need to go and right conveniently just talk through the batmobile computer right they um, i mean this was 19 1992 siri and yeah they did it better better than modern siri by a lot actually 
Yeah. Yeah, we should get them uh, working on that. So he finds he finds Crane. Crane gets hit by his own. He takes off his mask mm-hmm. uh, and is hit by his own fear gas. And I thought in most stories, like, he's immune, just like Joker's immune to Joker gas. I thought he's immune. Oh, well, whatever. Yeah. Um, he's yeah, hit he's by not. the fear gas. You learn that he has a fear of bats. Yeah. Very convenient. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he has a deep-rooted fear of bats or if it was more like in that moment the most prescient fear was it, it a was Batman probably, showing up. Well, well, because first he sees an actual bat before Batman yeah, shows up. Yeah, he sees up. like a giant, yeah, a giant kind of bat creature. There's multiple uses of giant bat creatures, actually. Because <laughs> what he, I guess, no, the one he sees kind of has like that, um, like Fantasia Night on Bald Mountain kind yeah. of look to it, right? It's like blue and has the yellow face. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, yeah, because when all the, uh, all the people at the charity event, they also see a giant bat. We don't actually see their perspective. We just see them attacking... Batman, right. he grapples out. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, here we actually see what Crane is seeing, and then Batman shows up and yeah, takes and you him see, out. yeah, the sil- no, the the silhouette of of Bald Mountain is when he sees Batman. Oh, that's right. there's he two. Just, he sees a giant bat, and yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sees multiple giant bats because that one. I want to know if there's any cross between writers or artists between. Uh, animated series and gargoyles because that felt very much oh, like I think there was I think there was some yeah, oh, it, did, it did look a lot like gargoyles yeah uh, so he catches crane he catches crane and then he's out we get like a brief little gag at police headquarters where bullock's like I'll turn in my badge if you know to prove that oh no it's like oh if batman and crane are working together like I would turn in my badge and scarecrow's like dangling from the ceiling fan yeah. it's like oh, a little gag and then we get that last scene of Bruce out at the cemetery in front of his parents' graves, closing off that whole loop of coming to terms with, not necessarily mm-hmm. their deaths, but that, you know, he's still doing them proud. Yeah. And we mentioned earlier that this was the first episode in the series that dealt with Bruce's background, Batman's background. Yeah. And at least according to a bit of trivia, I found that, so obviously first episode in the series, but there have been actually very few references in other media to his parents before this. So it was uh, in the 89 movie, obviously, and then mm-hmm. there was one episode of the Super Friends cartoon back in, like, 1973 Yeah, that dealt with it. But, I mean, I haven't actually watched all of, like, so the 60s TV show. But, I mean, mm-hmm. that was so light in camp, they generally didn't talk too much about the fact that, you know, his parents were murdered, and that's why he's Batman. And I thought it was interesting because basically, what, from, you know, 39 to 89, so you got 50 years of Batman history with almost no reference of his parents in the different forms of media – Mm-hmm. And then from this point on, it this, just never stops. Right. Like, the, there's even that great supercut out there of all the different times we've seen his parents die. Mm-hmm. And that supercut is, what, I think one year old or two years old. Right. And since then, we now have, I think, at least two or three additional outlets for that to throw in there. You got the Batman vs. Superman movie, mm-hmm. another one of the animated movies. We just we've seen his parents get shot so many times, and here yeah. we don't see them get killed. We just see that you know his parents are dead, and he's trying to live up to them. Right. I think this is exactly how the movies and future iterations of Batman should handle it. Yeah. And I think it's it's handled so elegantly, and it's you you learn everything you need to know without seeing what we've already seen. And it's nice that it wasn't in the first episode. It, you know, obviously they had to get some of that information out relatively early on, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be in the first episode. You know, it's yeah. great about the series. It's just treating it like this world exists. We're going to, you know, piece that information comes along, but we're not just going to, you know, slam a whole bunch of origin shit 
right in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we talked about this before, too, that there's so much of this episode that then made its way into Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not only the use of, the, like, the Scarecrow itself, obviously, and the, the visualization of the characters are very different. Here, it's it's kind of a stupid look. I mean, he's, you know, very gangly, very skinny, and he's got the, the hat and the mask. Yeah. Um, I always liked the redesign of him a lot better when he came to the new Batman Adventures, where he's kind of got more of, like, a like a skeletal yeah, look. Okay, and he's yeah, got the yeah. noose hanging around his neck. Um, you know, and then compare that to Batman Begins, which is much more refined. It's him in a suit, and he's just got the, the hood and mm-hmm. the noose. But there are, you know, there are some small details, like, you know, the gas coming out of his hands, the fact the mask also serves as a gas mask for him. Bruce's fear of not living up to his parents, mm-hmm. you know, getting trapped by the fear, then getting set on fire. Like, there's a lot of plot elements, a lot of thematic elements, a lot of character details they made their way into Batman Begins. And it's hard to say if it's directly that got pulled. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much Nolan, like, maybe he was sitting down and watched this episode. I mean, this is a nice, very simplistic, refined view of right. Scarecrow. It's probably why I made it in there. I thought this was, like, the first time we saw Scarecrow, but he's actually been a pretty common villain in most media. Yeah. I mean, he had, there was an episode in the 66 Batman that revolved around Scarecrow. There was an episode mm-hmm. of Super Friends that revolved around Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's been kind of a big villain, yeah, and pulling him for Batman Begins, I think was I think it was a safe move, and I think that's why they I, they chose this I, villain. Well, I think safe. I mean, he he was a character that had been brought up a lot, kind of in the interim between Batman and Robin and Batman Begins. I mean, there was a whole bunch of different projects. I, I'd heard the term intimidation game once, but I, I couldn't find that again. You said Unchained, Batman Unchained was so so one uh, of the versions. When I was looking up the history of Scarecrow and media, there was the the unwritten supposed fifth installment of the 90s Batman mm-hmm. movie chain. Yeah, it would have been uh, Schumacher's third movie. Right, yeah. Batman Unchained, where it was going to put together Harley Quinn and Scarecrow mm. to kind of bring back Joker. They wanted Jack Nicholson to come back. Oh, that's right. Yeah, where like Batman hallucinates, the Joker comes back. And so one of the, one of the fun facts that I learned about this was who was top of the line for casting of Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess this must have been before the supposed Tim Burton Superman movie was coming oh, out. Because top choice was all of our favorites, Nick Cage. Would have been Hold ridiculous. Could have worked. Could've the two worked. other ones, I, I don't know who I could choose between these three. Because it was Nick Cage was top choice. Right under him was uh, Steve Buscemi. Oh, my God. Uh, and right under him, and I still want, I think this is my favorite one. I would love to see this man in any part of the DC universe. Jeff Goldblum as Scarecrow. Oh, Jeff Goldblum. Everything's better with Jeff Goldblum. Everything is better with Jeff Goldblum. Because you have to imagine this is right after Jurassic Park hype. Oh, that could have been amazing. I, I remember Howard Stern being mentioning once. I don't know, mentioned once. I don't know if that was a serious consideration or not. Well, then the casting for Harley is... Was supposed to be Courtney Love. Yeah, which is perfect in its own its own weird way i guess yeah um yeah the uh, human train wreck that one um, um oh, so so jumping back to the episode there's like a couple points yeah. to bring up so we keep talking about batman's biggest fear is disappointing his parents mm-hmm. but there was the scene and i i probably looked a little bit too much and i might have stretched this out a bit but the scene with him and summer or summer's on tv and she's repeating you failed you failed you failed you failed i saw that to be because the only time we he doesn't hallucinate his parents, he hallucinates her. He hallucinates him, the failure. And it was right after they talked about how he failed to catch Scarecrow. Yeah. And so I think his subconscious deep-rooted fear isn't 
disappointed the family, but it's it's the guilt over his parents' death. I mean, obviously, it's always over his parents' death, but this, it's the failure to catch the villain. Mm, Like, the first time he ever failed to catch the villain was when the villain shot his parents, and he couldn't do anything then. Yeah, that's a good point. And so doing this, like, living at this moment, he's failing his father, he's failing the Wayne name because he's feeling that emotion that he felt in the very beginning. No, that that is a good point, and I... This is a nice thematic episode, and you can see why pieces of it directly or indirectly end up in Batman Begins. Jumping back there again real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, you were saying you thought it was like a safe choice for them to do Scarecrow for that movie. I think, obviously, we had just talked about the fact that that character came up a lot in preparation, kind of in as they're gearing up towards making another Batman movie. And over the course of the podcast, I'll probably talk a lot about the things that I felt Nolan actually did wrong with <laughs> those movies. I, I they There's a lot of elements of Batman that he, I think, kind of didn't do completely right. But one thing I would give him, as a, as a filmmaker, he really understands themes really, really well. And the use of Scarecrow in Batman Begins is absolutely perfect, because it's all about him overcoming his fear and overcoming the trauma. And so the Scarecrow, perfect villain to bring in there. And what I'll give him credit for is he's kind of, he almost has like the opposite problem of the current DC universe is that I think at his core, Nolan always understood the characters really well, Mm -hmm. maybe with the exception of Bane, but all of the characters he brought in, like fundamentally they are the right characters. You know, some of the trimmings are different. Like obviously Scarecrow is kind of simplified down. Catwoman is referred to as Catwoman, she's just Selena Kyle, Mm -hmm. but at their core, they really understood Scarecrow well and bring him in, and um, I, I love Batman Begins. <laughs> I that's it. it it's I, I yeah. It's the best Batman movie. The Dark Knight is a better film, but not a very good Batman film. Mm-hmm. And I will probably talk about that a lot. But <laughs> Batman Begins is amazing. I really want to go watch it again now, having watched this episode. Uh, but we should get on to the next episode, episode four, the last laugh, reminding us that this is a kids show. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Juicy thematic stuff in the last one. This one, kind of like Christmas the Joker, very much just simply plotted by the numbers, Joker caper. Right. I don't even have that many notes on it because there's really not that much that happens. I mean, he, so there's like the, the barge in the beginning, which is spewing off some sort of gas, which infects everybody. We learn is, go crazy. is Joker gas. Yeah, I think the first use of Joker gas in the show, because I don't think he... Yeah, because he didn't use it. He didn't, yeah, he didn't use uh, that. And did, Christmas. I don't remember, I wasn't paying attention for it. Was this also the first use of the Joker's theme? Because he has yes. his own theme in the animated series, and yes. I don't think it was in Christmas the Joker episode, but this, here it's used. <laughs> this, music, or this episode reminded me why music is so important yeah. to a show. Because there is a moment where it's great, where you hear the Joker theme for the first time, and it's wonderful, and you mm-hmm. get the this, this sense of yeah. Joker. It's got, like, a carnival beat to it, and yeah. And then there's the chase music with this weird oh, 90s drum yeah. like drum sample set behind it that feels... I We'll, we'll get there. We'll, yeah. we'll, let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. Yeah, the, the gas comes off. It infects a guy driving an armored car, mm-hmm. and he drives it off of you know, one of the, uh, like, split bridges that's being raised, conveniently bailing out and landing on the road before the van right. crashes into the water. So Conveniency I'm, number three. Yeah, so I'm going to, yeah, <laughs> we'll add that one onto the list. Um, and then we, oh, yeah, and then from there we, we go under the water and we assume, okay, the Joker, it's clearly the Joker, he's probably just got a barge. No, he has a submarine. <laughs> 
attached to it's, it's a submarine with a barge cover. It's kind of like uh, Bond's scuba suit and Goldfinger that has like the duck on the surface to like right. be the distraction. That's basically what he's got going on here. Again, if, where, if where does police he get this can shit? Get blimps, then Joker can get a submarine. That's true. I mean, yeah, and Scarecrow who. Isn't actually robbing the university. He's just also a, little a double bit of major money. in aviation. Yeah, exactly. That's how we can get blimps. And I don't, I don't know. Yeah, again, it is a cartoon. We got to give them right. A, a we got to give them some leeway. Yeah. Um, so, so we know the Joker's gassing the whole place. Um, and then I think kind of the next big scene is back at the Batcave, right? Yeah. Batman sent a little drone out into the gas, and the warning is that prolonged exposure will lead to like permanent madness. Yeah. And right as he reads that, he calls for Alfred, who is laughing hysterically upstairs. It is So, to give preface, this is April Fool's Day. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, the, the whole thing opens with a newspaper being thrown down and says, Happy April Fool's Day. And right. Like, slow news day for Gotham. Yeah. Which, how is it ever a slow news day for Gotham? But, hey, um it works. Uh, and we also skipped over my favorite, I think this might be my favorite Alfred joke, <laughs> when Bruce comes back from doing his Batman thing, and he's, you know, tired, and he's trying to shave. Uh, doesn't ever finish shaving, by the way. You oh, know, yeah, you're right, it doesn't. Yeah. One one stride and then stops. Yeah. Alfred comes in, he says, Sir, I've drawn you a bath. Uh, and Bruce walks over, the bath is empty, and he holds up a sheet of paper. Yeah, a little drawing of the bath. It's, 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 it's a, gr- it's it's a great joke, yeah. And Bruce has no humor about it whatsoever. Right, because he has no funny bone in his body. Nope. Supposed by Alfred. Yeah. So, so jumping back, the gas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, makes it from the city all the way into uh, Wayne Manor. Yeah. And it gets it, Alfred. Right. Affects Alfred. He's, go, he's starting to go mad. He's breaking everything. And Batman's like, okay, I guess I'll have to intervene now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I should go save the city now because it personally affects me. So, yeah. So then he, he takes the bat boat. Good old Bat Boat. Yep. Out to the barge, jumps onto it. And there there is a great uh visual gag where the Joker is looking through the periscope and he kind of pans yes. across and Batman's standing there not moving. He kind of pans past and looks back, and then Batman punched the periscope and it flexes through the thing and smacks the Joker. Right. It's silly, but it's it's fun. Up to this point, we're maybe twelve minutes into the episode. Yeah, we're really far. Very little happens in the beginning and of this episode. The only dialogue we've had up to this point is one liners. And I, Yeah. I kind of love that. It, it, it also kind of aggravates me. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's not, you know, juicy character development dialogue. But it is, I think, Mark Hamill warming up to his role, though. Right. And it's, it's, a, it's a different version of Joker where this Joker follows the Killing Joke Joker. And I think this, we actually see, like, Joker was a stand-up comedian before he became the Joker. Yeah. And I think this was the episode where we were reminded that, or not reminded, this is the version of Joker where... Mark Hamill isn't afraid to make him actually funny, not he just like is. evil he is funny, but like funny. He, can, yeah. he can drop one-liners. And- yeah, and he he's, I think what works here, where we're really starting to see that caricature come together, is this Joker really only cares about amusing himself. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you get moments in all kinds of media, in TV shows and movies, where a character says a line basically to themselves to like have a quip at the end of like a scene or a show and obviously we laugh at it because we're you know watching it but if you were to go into that real world it's just a guy standing there making a joke to himself and the joker's the one character where that works Mm because all he really cares about is amusing himself and then we get the benefit of it too but a moment that really sums up how well they do the character so after you know batman attacks the barge he dispatches with the two normal goons then there's this giant hulking clown the captain clown 
and the clown picks up Batman and spins him until he can't focus and then puts him in a locked garbage can. A silly, but a, a, this wouldn't get past a Batman. I'll, I'll give them credit on this one. Again, yeah. it's better than a fucking desk. So, and the great moment is then Joker's like, oh, let's poke some air holes. And he grabs a knife and he just stabs a whole bunch of places into the can. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that is the Joker. It's He's just made a, a joke, obviously. But there's still genuine menace. He's just stabbing the crap out of this thing. And it fits because he's amusing himself, but he's still a real threat. And I think here... We see those moments where he kind of turns on a dime real quickly from just being silly and kind of whimsical to being a genuine threat. Yeah. You know, because in the beginning, he's walking around with this giant, like, fishbowl helmet on, and he's just breaking the stores. He's not really attacking anybody. It's kind of just more for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. And then Batman shows up, and he's actually really dangerous. Again, you're, we're starting to see the character come together a little bit more there. Right. We see kind of the three Jokers merging kind of the best traits of each into this yeah. one character. You have... Kind of the mob boss mentality of the yeah, 40s. he's got his goons. Yeah he's, yeah, he's got a lot of the campiness and the humor of the 60s. Yeah. And, and obviously the psychopathic natures of the 80s. Like, this yeah. is kind of the conglomeration of all three Jokers into this one character. Yeah. It's, it is good. So, I mean, the episode's kind of meh, but I, I will say that there's moments in this really set him up well. Yeah, so then he's Batman stuffed into a garbage can. Thrown into the ocean. Thrown into, into the ocean. Lake Gotham, or whatever it is. Yeah, the river. I don't know. Um, uh, thrown we, into the water. Yeah, we, we get a, a, a Casablanca reference, which made me happy. It's my favorite movie. <laughs> so, I love that. Yeah, and then Batman, saved by the Batboat. Because the Batboat shoots lasers. Batboat shoots lasers. It's really convenient that he waited until it settled down to the bottom of right. the, uh, the river before he called in the boat to come and shoot lasers and cut him out of there. But, again, convenient escape from... Uh, peril but yeah it basically works so he tracks joker back to where is he after that is he oh he goes joker's at ace waste disposal okay so that was interesting because ace chemicals famously is where he becomes the the joker yeah becomes the joker this is ace waste disposal maybe they're related maybe they're not i don't know but yeah joker's basically just pumping out his gas in liquid form dumping it onto the barge yes batman comes back dispatches with the other two henchmen again this time they actually get exposed to the thing and and go crazy um we learned that captain clown is a robot yeah i I did make a note about that that we had to have a moment where the face got peeled off so we knew it was a robot right before it got squished in the car compactor Mm -hmm. because we can't have it seem like it might be an actual person it is still a kid's show it is still a kid's show so yeah the, the robot is compressed and in that moment, as the Joker is, like, riding off into the center of the factory, again, he has that brief turn where he's, like, actually mad yeah. at Batman. And it's, like, the joke's wearing off sort of for him. And the fun is, like, now he's getting frustrated. And, again, shows he can be a serious threat when he wants to be. He's not completely silly. And so that leads into a really interesting chase scene. There are moments of it that... that Definitely pull from, like, the Buster Keaton short where he's, like, trapped. Oh, uh, Charlie clock. Chaplin. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, so yeah, Charlie Chaplin's inside the giant mechanical gear yeah. that's being pissed through. Yeah, because there, there's just huge, like, 20 feet diameter exposed gears in this place. Uh, and so he's, Joker and Batman are kind of maneuvering around just generic warehouse Yeah, things. generic factory things. So you got things. gears, you have there's conveyor belts, you have... Tons of just, like, loose wires hanging down yeah, that you can swing along. Yeah, so swinging like yeah containers a uh, uh, garbage chute that leads to a giant furnace and so it's it's an interesting chase and i like the use of the space like we said before bruce tim encouraged writers and artists to make the space feel as big as possible yeah, and it works here it, it mm-hmm. does feel really big but this is where the music comes in 
that just feels so oh, yeah i never felt suspenseful for any of it for any of this like batman is about to fall to his i mean obviously he's batman he's gonna save himself but he's yeah. about to fall into lava and he does technically fall until he uses his his uh, battering yeah he falls the joker into a garbage chute they like slide along and the joker swings off on a rope and then batman's left hanging on the edge of this chute over the furnace and the mm-hmm. joker dumps more garbage and it knocks him into the fire but the choice of music in this episode really shows how music makes a scene it killed any suspense it did it was really silly it, it was it was odd and then yeah so of course batman's falling into the fire swings out and then uh joker trapped once again by the same basic mechanism that got him last time, he trips on a loose wire and falls over the side of the thing and is left there dangling the exact same way as in Christmas of the Joker. Yeah, that was that was last laugh. Yeah, and then, oh, of course, there's the one the one final scene. Oh, right. Yeah, where Alfred is uh, sweeping up the study at Wayne Manor, and he's upset because he broke uh, a Ming vase. Priceless as far, Ming vase. As far as I can tell, in all children's cartoons, all vases are Ming. And priceless. And priceless. And uh, he's broken it, and... Bruce makes a comment, oh, I'll just take it out of your salary. And Alfred, oh, yes, sir, that's fine. It's like, oh, Alfred, April Fool's. Like, okay, yeah. It is a kid's show. I mean, I mean it, it, there is like a bookending element there. So it kind of works. But again, a little silly. So we're kind of 0 for 2 with Joker stories right now. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I think for me, I'm a little harsh on it because I mentioned this last time. The version of this I've seen the most mm-hmm. is Mask of the Phantasm. And he's so good in that. And he's and it helps, too, that, that was an actual theatrical release movie, so they could kind of up his level of violence. Like, he actually straight up kills people in that movie compared to this where no one really gets hurt. Yeah, so far the Joker stories have been kind of weak, kind of formulaic. But we're also looking at it from two people, like we said before, have seen the progression of Hamill's Joker. Yeah. And how much more evil and crazy he becomes. And he's still working on the character. The writers are still trying to figure out how far they can push Hamill and push the Joker himself. Right now, like we think of the Arkham series and we think of Phantasm, and like Hamill hasn't hit that point yet. He's still yeah, there's still, he's ways still to go. Luke Skywalker to every person watching the show. And so it's it's important to realize that he's still coming into his character in this in this episode. As it goes on, the stories will get better as he's able to progress his character. There are four characters that don't really get a backstory in the animated universe. It's Joker, Penguin. Does Catwoman get a... I think she gets a brief background story in the two-parter. There's one other I can't can't quite remember. But I'm wondering if the lack of giving them an origin story kind of hinders the writers a bit, especially in these early episodes Um, where, I mean, so far we've seen two for two. Not character origins, but... I kind of see what you're saying. I I don't know. I mean, I think... Even at this point, the Joker was so well-known. Kind of like Batman, I almost feel like they didn't necessarily have to give him uh, an origin. And already, he's the most frequently used villain. He's going to continue to be through the rest of the animated series. Through the rest of the Batverse. Through the rest of the Batverse, yeah. And so he, I think they treat him kind of like a supporting character in some sense. Yeah. Where they almost don't need to give the background because he's just kind of a constant presence and he doesn't need they don't need to introduce him to us in the same way they have to do with scarecrow and man bats and these other ones that are a little bit less well known i don't know i think it's also one of those things any show has high and low episodes and i mean it's pretty pretty regular that you kind of get these like really interesting deeper episodes paired with kind of crappier ones that's that's consistent across almost all shows i'd say i don't know maybe but again find out yeah we'll do more episodes we'll find out as we go along here yeah any other kind of comments on these two uh, no, we kind of 
expunged everything there was about about another Joker and about the the f- first appearance of Scarecrow. No, I think that basically uh, basically covers it. Yeah. So the next episode will be pretty poison and the underdwellers and then possibly also yep so we're pov meeting um poison ivy yeah um the sewer king and then uh an interesting kind of character episode i'm, I'm kind of excited about okay. pov actually yeah. yeah so that's where we're heading coming up here uh we now have social media stuff too yes which is exciting yeah so we are uh, at tim with two m's talk pod on Twitter, and we're also same thing, Tim Talk Pod on Instagram and Tim Talk Pod at gmail.com. And yeah, Chris, where can we find you? Your oh, stuff? yeah, I'm at Lordifer on everything. There's really no reason to look, there's nothing of interest <laughs> there. And uh, of course, Cameron, you're at uh, I'm at Cameron Dexter on pretty much everything. Yeah, and every week I'm gonna remind people to check out Cameron's Instagram because he does these awesome Disney animations, and I'm hoping he's gonna do uh, some for the podcast, maybe. Well, maybe we'll see if I have time. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that uh, basically wraps it up for this week. So uh, thank you once again to Trevor Reese for coming down and being our audio engineer. He also has a great podcast called The Podcast of Two Worlds, all about The Flash. So highly recommend checking that out. And we're recording down here at the podcast booth at the Nerdist School. So check out NerdistSchool.com and come down to the school and see some shows. And I think that's basically it. Yeah, thanks, everyone. All right, thank you. Bye.